Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Hope everyone is having a wonderful Monday morning. It is Don't At Me, and we are celebrating Jason Bonetti's move from ESPN to Fox, where he joins all of us, ladies and gentlemen, in the Fox family. We'll have Jason coming up around 1030. Uh, Bill Russell passed, and we'll get into that in a minute. Jerry Seasting, former uh, Celtics legend, and he is a legend in the Celtics because of how hard he played, uh, is going to join us to talk about the impact that Bill Russell had not only on the Celtics, but across basketball and in his life. Bill Russell passing. um, We all have our our different thoughts on athletes. We all have our different times. Like older than me, you probably saw Bill Russell play. I did not see Bill Russell play. I remember being told by my father, my grandfather, and everybody that I knew that was older than me about the greatness of Bill Russell. Bill Russell won 11 championships as a player. He won eight in a row. He won two as a high school player, state championships. He won two as a daggone coach in the NBA, first African-American coach in any sport. He won two titles as a college basketball player, NCAA title. Bill Russell was a champion. Let's just go right there. First and foremost, whatever Bill Russell touched, it went well. And I'm going to give you my impression of it. I met Bill Russell one time. It was coming out of the kingdom, if you can remember the kingdom in Seattle. And I'm not great at this, but I believe it was 1989. It was a little bit rainy. It was at the Final Four, uh, coming out of the kingdom, a lot of people. We weren't in the main general area where it would be a ton of people. There was a lot of people walking out. And Bill Russell had a trench coat or an overcoat and a Gilligan hat, like a fishing hat on. And no one was even recognizing that it was Bill Russell. And I, I had to. I had to say hello. I had to pay my respects. He didn't know me. I knew him, obviously. So I walked over. And one of the things that you should never do when you're going to introduce yourself to a, quote, celebrity is talk about yourself. You know, Mr. Russell, I've been a huge fan of yours. I'm there. Blah, blah, blah. No, 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 no. I said, hey, uh, Mr. Russell, I coach with Bobby Knight. Just got to tell you. You inspired a generation of people to play defense and worry about only winning. I said, I just want to tell you thanks. And he looked at me, and he's like, really? And I said, yeah. He goes, hey, that's pretty cool of you to say. Thanks. I said, you're welcome. And I walked away. That's my only interaction with Bill Russell, but I remember the look in his eye, and I remember the enthusiasm in his eye. I always say this, nothing great ever gets accomplished without enthusiasm. I mean, you can say a lot of things about me or this show, but we're enthusiastic every day. We're going to bring it every single day, whether it's this show, my show at noon. I just believe it. I always have, always will. That's the way I live my life. Dull people bore me. I don't want to be around dull, complaining people. I want to be around enthusiastic people. And my impressions of Bill Russell were always legendary stories. Well, you know, first African-American coach, won a championship, eight in a row, all those things. But the truth of the matter is, for somebody my age, 
What you remembered about Bill Russell, and I absolutely love these. I love these because you're going to see an enthusiasm out of Bill Russell that it looks real to me. Like now, athletes are staged. Now, athletes are poised. Now, athletes are scripted. Hey, let's go ahead. Bill Russell used to have great commercials. Bill Russell for long distance. He and then he had a guy with him, Ronnie Watt. All right, let's go with the first Bill Russell commercial. I love, there's no doubt why Bill Russell won all the time. Because he was better than everybody, longer, athletic, all that kind of stuff. But the man had an enthusiasm, a gravitas for life. Go ahead and play this one here. Now that I'm coaching, you know, I, I tell my players, you know, if you're in a tight ball game and you got a good shot, take it, don't pass off. Now, the same thing holds true when it comes to saving money on long distance. Now, if you dial your own out-of-state calls from your home or office, you got a sure shot and up to 50% savings. So don't pass off to the operator. She can't save you money. To save on long distance, you put them through yourself. I love that. I do. I love that. That's what I grew up seeing Bill Russell, long distance commercials. I didn't grow up in the 50s and 60s. I didn't. I mean, I grew up in the 60s, but I was like, you know, I'm born in 62. What the heck did I know at seven years old in 69? But I always saw Bill Russell as a guy that did whatever he was going to do with common sense and enthusiasm. You're going to hear from every white guy in the media today, these somber, glorified, and they're great. Everything's great. But what I think of Bill Russell, and when I had a chance to meet Bill Russell, and the look in Bill Russell's eyes was all about enthusiasm. Yeah, he was a great basketball player, fantastic coach, uh, social activist. When he spoke, people listened. He stood on the front lines with Ali and the others. I get all that. I do. But also, I get fascinated by why do some guys win? Why do some guys just win? Why do they win? And I swear to God, it always comes down to they have an internal enthusiasm. And you don't have to be Magic Johnson, who had an external enthusiasm. You could be Larry Bird, who was a dude's dude. And we'll talk to Jerry Seastin coming up at 930 that played with Larry Bird. You could be Isaiah Thomas with a big smile ready to fight you. You could be Michael Jordan, man. Michael Jordan, hey, look, he had an enthusiasm for winning. But that's what matters in sport. And the first guy that I ever paid attention to with it was Bill Russell and from those commercials. All right, he had a guy named Ronnie Watts. I don't know who the hell Ronnie Watts is. I guess he was an actor. But he and Ronnie Watts did a bunch of commercials, and they were awesome. Let's go with the next commercial. So Master Ace coached the Celtics, huh? You know I was only kidding. Kidding? Howard didn't think so. He asked me, were you really a friend of mine or just an actor? Well, what'd you tell him? I told him that you were an obscure actor. Ooh, after all those calls I've dialed to Seattle. Did you dial direct? Of course. I'll bet Howard doesn't make half that many calls to his friends. What friends? <laughs> Good friends are for keeps. So keep in touch. Long distance is the next best thing to being there. <laughs> I'm telling you. I'm telling you. You know, look. A lot of great Your things get done in this more world by, exclusive access. by men like Bill Russell. A lot of men 
a lot of great things. He suffered, I'm sure, from all kind of racial slurs. I read something today where, you know, the relationship with Bill Russell and Boston was complicated because of that. I get all that. But as a young guy just watching hoops, as a young guy trying to learn, as a young guy that wanted to study, what makes people great? What makes people fantastic? What makes people win? Man, you know what I came down to? Enthusiasm. And that's what that man had. You know what else? There are all kind of pictures of Bill Russell smoking cigars on benches. There are all kind of pictures of Bill Russell drenched in champagne. I love it. I love when champions wear their shirts. You know, the dorky hat that you get when you win something, and then they put the dorky shirt on you. Michael Jordan wearing his shirt. I love that stuff. I think that's team, team, and more team, and that's what I saw to Bill Russell. I know there's more to Bill Russell. I don't think I'm necessarily equipped to speak on it. But I know this, from a guy that has studied basketball, from a guy that loves enthusiasm, from a guy that loves to live life, Bill Russell was unbelievable. And maybe my first role model with those commercials. I'm telling you, I don't know who that actor was, but I love that. Those seem real to me, even as a little kid. I know you're saying, and that's stupid. He was far more than that. Good for you. But those meant something to me. They did. I think there was one, I couldn't find it, where he shoots a uh, paper into a basket. And he looks at the camera and he goes from long distance. Telling you. Remember asking my dad one time, how great was Bill Russell? He said, best ever. He said, Dan... He knew how to win. He knew how to make everybody better. He didn't have to score a point, and he influenced the game and won. He could block eight shots, get 22 rebounds against guys twice the size of him because he wasn't that big, but he was long. That's the last thing. When I walked up to him and said what I said in 1989 in the, at, outside the kingdom, I remember thinking, this dude is long. So you know what? Good for Bill Russell. And I last thing, because i got to take a shot at J.J. Reddick. J.J. Riddick and all those other clowns can besmirch the folks from the previous era. That's their right. They certainly can. They get on ESPN, and all of a sudden, I got to impress Davey Roberts, the boss at ESPN, with my wit and my wisdom. That's fine. But that group, those guys had an appreciation for playing. Those guys had an enthusiasm. Those guys had an energy. Somebody actually wanted me in a commercial, an AT&T commercial. Let's give it an enthusiastic shot. Not this sullen crap that we see now. Not this BS that J.J. Riddick spews. Congratulations, Mr. Russell. Congratulations on a life well-lived, man. Guy, I could only imagine. I didn't know you, met you once, but your enthusiasm, it inspired me from those commercials right there. may seem silly. Uh, basically, on the other end of the spectrum, let's talk about what we have to talk about now with the modern athlete, and that is Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson, it just came down a couple minutes ago. Deshaun Watson has just been suspended six games by the NFL. Okay. Well, so Deshaun Watson gets suspended six games. Um, people are going to look at this as a win for Deshaun Watson, and frankly, it is. Deshaun Watson, because of how his, how his contract was figured out, only is going to lose $300,000. That's it. Now, we say only, but the truth of the matter is uh, it is only 
when you're talking about what, $240, $250 million? Because they front-loaded the contract. They understood how to go about it. Well, guess what? Deshaun Watson and the Browns got over on the NFL. Explain this to me. Explain to me how a guy named Calvin Ridley bet $1,500 on a parlay legally when he was out and he only, well, got a year. No, gambling's different, man. All right. All right. You had two dozen women make allegations against Deshaun Watson. This wasn't a bad night in a bar. This is two dozen women. Now, I would go the other way, too, and say there were no criminal charges. I would. I'd go the other way and say, look, every, basically every one of these but two, and I say but two, and that sounds so idiotic and so asinine, got settled, settled, mind you, settled. And yet Deshaun Watson walks away with a six-game suspension. Think about Trevor Bauer. Think about this. Now, I I don't really understand this. Um, I know there are always extenuating circumstances, all right? I, I only, I understand there are. To me, anyway, the extenuating circumstances make the difference. And I always say there's a backstory. Listen to what Trevor Bauer got. 324-game Major League Baseball suspension, two years for non-criminal sexual assault allegations. They didn't put Bauer on trial. They didn't put Watson on trial. Watson, six games for 30 women's non-criminal allegations. According to Clay Travis... Bauer's suspension will cost him over $60 million. Watson, $300,000. Is that unbelievable? How about Watson refused to sit out or refused to play last year? The Texans said no one would trade for him. They paid him a full salary. You could just sit out. That was Watson's choice last year. It's unbelievable. Look, it's nobody's fault. What you did was you put it in front of an arbitrator, and the arbitrator said, that's what we're doing. Now, you kind of knew this was all coming down last week, right? You kind of knew because, well, or yesterday, because the NFLPA basically said we cooperated with everything. And in cooperating with everything, we're not going to appeal. And we hope the NFL doesn't appeal. I don't know what the NFL is going to do. I assume that if they appeal, they'll be called racist, I would assume. I mean, that seems to be the ongoing onslaught on a day-to-day basis. Anything that's said anytime, anyplace is racist. So I assume that is something that they will have to look at, I assume. But the truth of the matter is, man, Deshaun Watson, I don't know if he got away with something or he didn't. I just know when you look at Calvin Ridley's sentence, I just know when you look at Tom Brady got four games for deflating footballs a little bit, this dude had 30 women, and then they went over and tried to sue the Houston Texans, which the Houston Texans settled. As long as you settle, you're good, right? Kobe Bryant settled. He was good. He's a star. He's an icon. He's a girl dad. Fine. Deshaun Watson settled. He only got six games. I don't know what the hell Trevor Bauer's lawyer was doing. I don't know what the hell Calvin Ridley's lawyer was doing. I got no idea what their two lawyers were doing. But my God, man, 
You got some bad lawyers, you two guys. You got some really bad lawyers. Deshaun Watson said out a full year, got paid his deal. I'm not playing. I'm not playing. Now, I have no idea how the Houston Texans just went along with that. I have no idea how the Houston Texans said, you're not playing, you're not getting paid, you're cut. Well, we want to get something for him. Good for you. Or you're not cut. You're put on some type of commissioner's list. Or you're playing. You tell me. I mean, at some point, there's got to be a law or a rule. Not a law, a rule that can defend teams against this. I remember when Debo, or what the hell is his name? Dabo Sweeney told us, Deshaun Watson's Michael Jordan. Yeah, okay, right. Deshaun Watson doesn't want to play. Michael Jordan always played. Deshaun Watson's got all these allegations. Maybe Jordan did, maybe he didn't, but they certainly weren't public. We get sold a bill of crap constantly. If I were women, if I were a woman, I'd be pissed. I'm kind of pissed, and I'm a man. Well, I'm not. It's hard to say you're pissed, like it, because it, it doesn't really concern me. What I am is, I'm just amazed at the world that we live in. The NFL will come out and say, "Hey, look." We're all about women. And then you look at this and you go, really? Okay. That's pretty amazing. Good for Deshaun Watson, I suppose. Good for the Browns. You got over on everybody. Uh, Remember this when the next time a player says, it's not about the money. I don't want to run inside. I don't want to shorten my career. I don't want to do this. It's always about the money. And I ain't mad about it. It's not sometimes about the money. It's always about the money. Always. Not sometimes. Always. What do you mean by that, Dan? Well, what I mean by that is Debo Samuel just signed a contract that, oh, I don't know. Let me make sure I have it right. Three years, $71.55 million extension, including $58.1 million guaranteed. Now, I'm not mad at it at all. In fact, I like it. I love it. But don't tell me it's never, it's not about the money. Hey, I don't want to run inside. You guys are running me inside. I want to lengthen my career, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, really? Uh, here's an extra $2 million. Oh, Okay, good. I'll run inside. And I ain't mad about it. Everybody in the freaking world does things for money. Every, I do. You know, people always say to me, you got fired at ESPN. No, I didn't. Contract was up, better job, more money here. Kidding me? Everybody does. So a lot of people are criticizing Debo Samuel. Well, he said it wasn't about the money. Of course it's about the money. If I'm a pro football player, there's one thing I want to do. Two things. One, I want to make the damn team. Two, I want to get paid as much as I can, as fast as I can. This isn't like the NBA. See, the NBA, the reason guys come out early is so they can get more max contracts. I come out at 18. My deal's up when I'm 22. Next thing you know, I get a max contract. That deal's up when I'm 27. I get another max contract. And the ass end of contracts is the deal. The NFL, you're looking at three to five years, baby. You're looking at the average career three to five years. I mean, how many guys have we seen... Oh, yeah, I remember he played for my team. Now he's gone. Debo Samuel was smart. Make no mistake. Debo Samuel made, it looks to me, 
Everybody believed that he would not have played for the 49ers. 49ers were smart. I'm sure this contract fits in with how the 49ers were going to pay it anyway. Maybe they went a little higher. I don't know. But the truth of the matter is, Debo Samuels got him, got his, and the 49ers got theirs. Good deal all around. Apparently now, anything that an athlete signs is subject to social justice rulings. Kyler Murray signs the amendment that says, hey, look, dumbass, you're going to have to study a little bit. He signs it. His agent puts it in there. The agent gives it to Murray. I assume the agent said, Kyler, this is in there. Hey, man, I don't care. It's $230 million. You can put in there that I can have sex with goats. Who cares? You can put in there anything you want. That's how I'd look at it. Whoa, wait a second. All of a sudden, this racist. Why is it racist, according to Warren Moon? Because it goes to the stereotypes that black quarterbacks don't work hard. No, it doesn't. No, it really doesn't. We're way beyond it. Like, look, I understand everybody has to say things. I understand to stay relevant, you've got to say that. But the truth of the matter is, it's not racist because it treats everyone like they should be treated. If the Arizona Cardinals, who actually, I would assume, think this way, oh, man, we better not put that in because I better not say that because it's racist. It's the right thing to put in, but it might be perceived as racist. Arizona Cardinals said, hey, look, this is what needs to be in there. I don't give a damn if you're black or white or whatever. It's going in there. And it went in. It's the opposite of racist, but nobody has figured that out yet. Uh, Nobody's figured out that treating people the same is not racist. It's just treating people the same. I get called racist all the time because I treat everybody the same. You treat people the same. Uh, Would you put that in with a white quarterback? Why wouldn't you? If the dude didn't study, why wouldn't you? Of course you would. I guarantee you that the Arizona Cardinals got like 10 people whose job is it to figure out one thing. Is this racist? Is this promotion racist? Is this sign in the stadium racist? Is this tweet racist? I guarantee anything you want. In fact, I know teams have that. They have diversity groups that make damn sure. Hey, this ain't racist. Sometimes, though, you just got to treat people how they deserve to be treated. And if Kyler Murray isn't studying and it's a huge concern of the card, I don't give a damn what Warren Moon or other people say. You put it in the contract. If I didn't study, if I wasn't prepared for my show, I would expect, hey, Dan, we love you. You're very handsome, and you're getting by by being so handsome. Your handsomeness is overcoming all of your inability to study, inability to have any knowledge. And if you don't start studying, if you don't have knowledge, we're going to be a little bit blanked off. But of course, you know what? Guys just go to it's racist. Why? Easiest thing to do, right? Easiest thing to do. It's racist. Nothing racist about it. If they were worried about it being racist, they wouldn't put it in there. Treated treated Kyler, Kyler Murray... Exactly how Kyler Murray showed them he needed to be treated. That ain't racist. You can say it's racist. Anybody can say it's racist. Everything is racist. You know, blah, blah, blah. Racist. Blah, 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 blah. Racist. 
Green shirt, racist, should be red. Okay. No. Uh, Last thing. I am, yeah, actually, you're right, BS. The clause actually shows that Murray's been playing video games and calling that study. He's actually right about that. When you put in specifics like that, there's your problem. When you put in, hey, look, you got to study, but not play video games, not watch TV. There's your problem. How about Kyler Murray just be a man and do his job? How about Kyler Murray just walk like a man, do his job to the best of his ability, and learn what the greats of the game have learned? You have to have an all-encompassing, fanatical devotion if you want to be a great quarterback. Tom Brady's taught you that. I think Russell, let me, let me make sure this isn't racist. I think Russell Wilson has taught us that. You know I love Russell Wilson and Lamar Jackson. Maybe Lamar Jackson needs to study more. Maybe, maybe Tom Brady needs to study more this year. I'll be honest with you. Let me tell you this. If I were the Bucks, I'd be looking at Tom Brady. I'll tell you why. I heard an interview with Tom Brady. Tom Brady's talking about production companies. Tom Brady's talking about all this stuff that he's doing. Nobody ever questions Tom Brady, and no one ever should question Tom Brady up until now. I'd question Tom. I'd question every single guy in my organization that is in that quarterback room. Are you studying enough? Are you prepared enough? Hell, I was harder on my best players as a coach. Why? Should be. I'm just telling you. Hey, Dan, hasn't Arizona been having winning records the years he's been QB? Yeah, is that enough? Yes, he saved the franchise. Absolutely, yes. So that's enough? Okay, they've been having winning records. So what? What are you trying to do? Again, I think when you're a professional athlete of immense talent, I think you should study the greats. Greats work their ass off. Last thing, Barkley stayed with the TNT, had to. Had to. When I, re- when I saw how much money Charles Barkley was making, and you combine it with what he's making from commercials, he's making $10 million from TNT. He's making $10 million from TNT. I will have, by the way, let me just go back to the YouTube chat. There will be no, no Lamar Jackson slander on this board. You know I have an un, an un what's the right word, an unnatural love of A&W Root Beer Zero and Lamar Jackson. There will be no slander. None. Zero. Connie Bill Bliss. Caney, I don't know. Lamar can't make certain throws. He has figured out. As he gets slower, it'll be worse. There will be no, none, zero slander of Lamar Jackson. I've said this for years. Ever since he was a senior in high school, I have an unnatural affinity for Lamar Jackson. Last thing, Barkley stayed with TNT, had to. Making way too much money. And then you got all the commercials he and Shaq are doing. He had absolutely no chance other than to stay there because he would have lost all of that. Now, if the Livter wanted to pay him $50 million, fine. That's a different deal. Barkley made the right move, and I'm glad. All right. There are, there are legends, and there are legends. Jerry Seasting is a legend. Jerry Seasting, world champion with the Boston Celtics, mid-80s. Jerry Seasting, legendary golfer around these parts in the state of Indiana. Jerry Seasting, legendary brawler. 
uh, in the NBA. Jerry joins us when we come back. We're going to talk about Bill Russell, the Celtics, his impact on basketball. We've got about 10, 15 minutes with Jerry Seaston. Great dude. Can't wait to talk to him. Haven't seen him in a while. We'll be right back. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Uh, he's a world champion with the Boston Celtics in the mid-'80s and a beloved figure. And this is true, Jerry. I went to two different bars in Boston. I don't know if I told you oh, this, yeah, but my, uh, my, my stepdaughter goes to Harvard. My wife and I like to find places that are kind of sports bars. Your jersey was hanging up. I don't think it was your real jersey, but it was hanging up. Uh, you, McHale, Dennis Johnson, and there was one more. Uh, God, uh, ML Carr. I don't know. It was hanging up in this bar. I couldn't tell you the name, but he's a legend. All right, Bill Walton passes. I know I don't have a lot of time with you. Uh, Bill Russell passes. Jerry, what was, what was his influence, even in the 80s, over the Celtics? Well... The greatest, really the greatest thing for me about being a Boston Celtics was being able to meet and talk to and get to know some of those guys. Bill Russell, Sam Jones, Casey Jones obviously was our coach. Uh, Havlicek would come around. Cowens would come around. So, you know, Russell wasn't there a lot, but he, to me, he, he was very nice to me. The occasions that I talked to him was around him. Um, he, he was a one of a kind guy. I'm, when I was in, had to be sixth grade, seventh grade was, uh, you know, he, he was the guy in the NBA. I mean, his team won every year. I started watching NBA on Sundays. It was the, you know, they had a game of the week on Sundays and that was it. So Bill Russell and the Celtics were, uh, you know, that's who everybody watched and, and they were my favorite team along when the Pacers came into the ABA, they were the two teams that I followed. And I remember I wore number six, I think my sixth grade year, even even though I was not a center, I didn't, you know, but the guy was just charismatic. He he did whatever it took to win. And even as a young kid, you, you could see that, that, uh, you know, his teams were just so good because of how he played and how he made his team mates better. So, um, you know, you, and in those days when you're a young kid and we didn't have all the stuff they have now, no internet, um, you know, you read everything out of magazines, you read newspapers, you tried to get your hands on anything to find out about who these guys were, where they came from, what they did, where they went to college. So he graduated college, uh, I think the year I was born, 56. And so, you know, I, I used to get my hands and read about all these guys. And, uh, he, and then, you know, later on, you, you really didn't know as a young kid what was going on as much. But, you know, the impact he made off the court and what he did off the court, um, you know, uh, these guys, one, one of the things that was kind of um, it made me feel good to read was some of these current players actually aware of what he did and how he paved the road for some of them. You know, I know Brown and Tatum both made these comments yesterday. A lot's been said about Bill in the last 24 hours, 
But, um, you know, he, he stood up and he made things happen and he made change happen. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, luckily these guys don't have to go through and Bill shouldn't have had to gone through some of the stuff that he went through off the floor, but he made a difference and he was never, you know, I never saw him bitter around people or anything like that. And, uh, he, he did what he had to do and he, he was just a great person and a great player. Hey, you know, I read something. I'm curious your take on this. I read something that his relationship with Boston was complicated. Do you have any insight to what that might mean? Well, yeah. In in those days, in uh, you know, he came there in the late '50s and and stayed through. I think '69 was his last year as a player, and he was a player coach those last two championships. But yeah, the, uh, his house was broken into, Dan. Um, there there were um, things that were done to him and said to him, um, you know, uh, there's a famous, it's not famous, it's a, it's a story. I think he, li he lived in a suburb, Reading, Massachusetts, which is north of Boston. And his home was vandalized, burglarized, um, you know, and they wrote stuff on the wall in his house and stole some of his things. So that, that's kind of... Uh, where he, he became, he was kind of angry in those, you know, and he, and he <laughs> had every right to be. And, and he had a complicated um, uh, relationship with the media in those days, in the early days uh, in Boston as well. And, you know, he famously did not sign autographs and that made people look at him differently. Oh, he's, you know, but he, he had his reasons for that too. And I, I got a couple kind of funny stories about that if you want to talk about it, but he, he did have yeah. his problem early in Boston. Give him, give him to me. What do you got with Bill Russell not signing? Oh, well, Satch Sanders, um, and, it, and it's been documented. It, it's been on TV before where he's talked. So Satch, he, he and Bob Cousy, I think, are really the only, um, you know, main players in those days that are still alive. Bob is 93. Satch has got to be 88, pushing, you know, about Bill Russell's age. They're about the same age. And so Satch... Uh, he, he was a coach at Harvard, very kind of esteemed, um, academic-looking guy, always wore a bow tie, Satch did, and a great guy. So they're interviewing him about he had a team picture in the, in the mid-'60s, and he, he decided, you know, to put up in his own house. He wanted to put up the team picture, and he wanted everybody's signature uh, right above their head and stuff in the picture, and the guys on the first row just below. And so he goes around and he finally, he goes, I'll ask Bill last because this will put the pressure on him to sign. He doesn't sign things, but this will put the pressure on him because everybody else will have signed it. So he gets the picture, everybody's signatures on it, takes it up to Bill and, and Bill kind of looks at him and goes, Satch, come on, you know, I don't sign autographs. He goes, yeah, Bill, I know, I know you don't sign autographs for the public and everything. And I've never asked you to sign an autograph, but I want you to sign this this championship picture. It's got everybody and everybody signed it. He goes, Satch, you know, I don't sign autographs. And if I sign yours, I'm going to have to start signing everybody's autograph. And so then they cut away and they show the team picture and it's got every single person in the, you know, ball boys, owners, whatever, whoever was in the picture, everybody signed it, but no signature by Bill Russell. <laughs> so, and Not then, even for his however, guy, right? Even for his teammate and the guy he hung out with all the time. But however, I have a friend uh, in the Bay Area, and Bill Russell went to University of San Francisco, and 
I sh- he I would have called him this morning to get the details on this, but he's got he's got a lot of memorabilia uh, memorabilia from rock and roll and sports. He's got tons of stuff, and he takes me in this room at his house, and he's got a green number six Boston across the, the jersey. And his signature, which I've seen his signature before, and it's either the best fake or, but his story, and I think it's legit. It was a family that did stuff for Bill when he was in college. And this lady, and my friend is in real estate, and I don't know how he saw it or where it started up that this lady, they even talked about, she had a Bill Russell jersey, but he ended up getting this um, this framed jersey signed by Bill Russell, uh, and it's at his house right now. I'm not going to give the address because that thing's worth, uh, <laughs> it's worth a boatload of money right now. That I mean, it would have to be, right? Because he legitimately did not mm-hmm. sign autograph. Legit. I, I don't know the answer to this. Maybe you don't either. But you know how the world has changed, and now everybody wants a picture, that kind of thing, Jerry. Did, 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 he, did he take pictures with people? Do you have any idea? I, I think he did that. Now, I haven't. The last time I saw Bill in person was uh, 2016, and he was having trouble walking even then. Um, he was at, they, they had a big reunion. So the 66 team, the 76 team, and the 86 team all came back. So it was the 50th, 40th, and 30th uh, kind of get together. And it was uh, the last week of the NBA season. And we all were back. So all those guys were back. And uh, I, b- I believe he was taking pictures with people and stuff then. But um, yeah, he, but. Jerry. To be around him, I mean, he, he was a, he was a ball of laughs. I mean, he, he joking, very smart guy. Um, he was just fun. Jerry, to that point, what you just said, I played, I I played like I'm I'm a little bit younger than you, and I don't remember him as a player. Now everybody talked about him. My dad talked about him. I did the same thing. Read Sport Magazine, you know, whatever I could. But I loved his commercials. Do you remember him for Long Distance and all that? I always thought this. I'm, I'm a big believer in enthusiasm. Like, I don't know. It's just whatever. But I always, when I, and I played his two commercials where he's hooking a ball in and he gives it one of these, you know, he seemed like a dude that if you knew him in an environment like you were talking about, 60, uh, what, 66, 76, 86, it seemed like he would be a great dude to hang with. Yeah, yeah. No, he was, he was a fun-loving guy. Uh you know, I didn't get to see him when he was a player. So, you know, anybody to win how he won. I mean, think about it, Dan. He won 11 championships in 13 years in the NBA. He won two college championships. They won 55 games in a row in college. He won an Olympic champion gold medal in 1956. The last two NBA teams that he was on the one championship, he was the player coach. You will never, ever, ever see anything like that again. Now, if you watched him play on the court, you didn't get to see him play. The thing about him, he was fast. He was a track athlete in college. He he might have been, he was almost, yeah, he was a national level. I think he could run the 220, the 400, and he high jumped. If you watch some of the old films, you can probably go back and find some clips. Uh, he could outrun anybody up and down the floor, and he could jump, great timing, you know, um, I, this is a great story. So this uh, this spring, there's a big memorabilia 
show down in Naples, Florida. And Kevin McHale was there and he invited me to come over and pick him up one night. We went and watched an NCAA uh, tournament game. So where the restaurant where I went to pick him up, he was doing some signings before the, the public thing the next day. So he was at this restaurant in the back room. Well, Artis Gilmore was there. Uh, Earl the Pearl Monroe was there and Rick Barry was there. So I sat down. Those guys were having something to eat. And I, I sat next to Earl and we started talking. So I, I tried to pick his brain on some old stories. And he told me he got traded to the Knicks, but he always wanted to be a Celtic. I go, why did you want to be a Celtic? He goes, well, I wanted to play with Bill. He goes, he was the greatest teammate ever. He goes, he didn't shoot that much. He made everybody better. He blocked all the shots. If you made a mistake on defense, they always won. He goes, who, who didn't want to be a Celtic? So he said, I, he said, the first time I played the Celtics, and he was this, um, you know, guy that had all these moves and everything, he, and he, he could shoot from outside, but he had great shots around the basket. He goes, I had to go in against Russell. So he goes, I go in, I flip up this little shot, and he blocks it. He goes, a couple more possessions down the floor. I go in, I try something else. I get to the other side of the rim. He blocks it. He said, the third time I go down, I try something new and tricky. He goes, somehow the shot goes in. And he goes, you can't get everything, big fella. And he said, Russell turned around. He said, yeah, but two out of three ain't bad, is it? <laughs> so that's, that's just what he was back then. Did he, like, when you play for the Celtics, and you mentioned 11 championships, eight in a row, um, Brad Stevens told me one time, he goes, you know, I come into practice facility and I see all these champions, it just, it looms over me, right? As a player, you know, you guys were always in it, you guys were always playing, uh, you know, in the playoffs, in the finals, in the, in the uh, uh, conference finals, NBA final, whatever. Does that loom over you? Does his success loom over the Celtics? Uh, something happened. Can you see me? I don't know what I did. Yeah, I got you. I got you. Can you hear okay. me now, Jerry? Yeah, I can hear you. I don't know if you can see me or not. But anyway, um, yeah, the fact that – well, that was the thing about playing with the Celtics. And Dan, I mean, I was, I was not on any of those Hall of Fame guys' level. I was a role player. I was only there for three years. But the expectations is – was totally different, you know. When I mean, I came with the Pacers, and we weren't very good when I was with the, the Pacers in those years. And you know, as soon as you you get out there, and my very first meeting before I even when I just went out to do my physical, and I met with Casey Jones, he goes, he goes, you know, we uh, we do things a lot different. It's going to be a lot different for you. I go, yeah, I know, Coach. I go, that's why I want to be here. I want to play in the playoffs, and I want to, you know, I want to see what that's about. If I can do it, or if I can't do it, or what. He said, well, the thing that you got to understand, we try to win every game. He goes, we're not going out to, to win 40 games, 50-some games to get in the playoffs. He goes, every night we're trying to win, and we're going to go all stops. We're not thinking about tomorrow night or next week. We're going to win every game, and then we'll worry about the playoffs when we get there. So, you know, that type, that's that was the attitude. And that I think that came from guys like Russell and Kuzi, and, and, it, and it just stays there, and it's still there. Jerry, I, I don't want to get into something silly, but J.J. Reddick is talking about, yeah, you know, Kuzi and those guys played at uh, plumbers and firemen. That kind of blanked me off because I look at guys like Wilt and Bob Lanier. All these guys were unbelievable athletes. I'm glad you brought up Russell as a uh, track man because he was as good as there was. These guys were phenomenal athletes, at least the way I looked at them.
Yeah, here, here's, the, here's the way I look at it, Dan. You know, I'm, I'm old. I've, I've been around a long time, and I've seen, I've seen a lot of players from that era on, even though I was younger, I, re, I remember a lot of the best players in that era. If they, if they would have had the coaching, the technology, the stuff that these guys have grown up with here, those, those guys could play. The greatest players back then could play now. There's no question about it. Now, Bob Cousy, he brought the ball up, and I used to kind of say the same thing. I mean, he brought the ball up even on the left side of the court. He hardly ever used his left hand. He always brought the ball up with his right, right hand. Wasn't, wasn't a great outside shooter, but he was a pretty good athlete. I tell you what, he had very long arms. He, he was tricky, uh, pretty quick. Um, he he would have figured it out. He would have figured it out. Now, you would, if you translated and just grab that thing you're watching on the film and put it in today's game, yeah, I, I understand where Reddick's coming from a little bit on, on that. But, you know, when you're talking about, especially these bigger guys, Wilt and Russell and, and those, those, you know, Elgin Baylor, Jerry West, come on, Oscar Robertson, those guys couldn't play now. Give me a break. That's what I say. I know you got to run, man. I appreciate. Thanks so much. If you ever come back to Indiana, I want your money. No, I'm going to I'm 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 going to be there real soon. I unfortunately I had a I had a high school teammate that passed away not long ago, and we're having a remembrance for him. So uh, I'll give you a buzz. I'm coming back. Thanks, Jerry. I'll see you. All right, thank you, Dan. All right, bye. Thanks. That, that's my friend Jerry Seesting, one of the great, great guys across the board. Played with the Celtics. If you want to know, he was on the 86 championship team uh, with Larry Bird and those guys. Great high school football player, played at Purdue. Uh, just a fantastic guy. And look, I love the fact that he was talking about Jer- uh, Bill Russell being a guy's guy. Like, that's what I'm talking about. Like, you cannot go through life sitting back there going, well, you know, I think we're going to be good. No, you got to have an energy to you. We'll play the two commercials that I played at the end of the show, but you've got to have an energy. You've got to have an enthusiasm, and that's what I saw Bill Russell have, and that's what Jerry just talked about. Um, We have a segment, and it's called I Ain't Mad About It. Well, before we get to it, and that's coming up at noon, and it goes through a bunch of stuff, including why you should bet on the Colts, why you should not bet on uh, the Bills, why you should stop drinking if you want to lose weight, and why I love Tony Finau. But I got to tell you, there is something I am mad about, and it's Brittany Griner on the cover of Time Magazine. Don't make Brittany Griner out to be some type freedom fighter. Don't make Brittany Griner out to be some type of hero. That's what we're doing. Like, how are we possibly doing that? Time Magazine used to be a prestigious cover. Maybe it still is. I don't know. I don't pay attention. Brittany Griner, I want her out. I've been talking about this since way before any of the national media started talking about it. But don't make her some kind of hero. Don't make her some kind of, well, you know, we got to make her into some kind of patriot. She's anything but a patriot. She's entitled. She went over there. She didn't understand that, oh, by the way, Russia has laws, and if you don't follow them, they're going to enforce their laws. She should be out. I hope she gets out tomorrow. Obviously, there's negotiations. Hell, we're trying to get a freaking uh, NBA, a WNBA player out and giving them a mass murder or a potential mass murder. Now, I don't know what ultimately is going to happen here. I have no idea. But I do know that Brittany Griner should be out. But my God, when you go about the business 
of celebrating somebody that was dumb enough to do what she did. I don't need her. I I don't need her on the cover of anything. Look, get out, be happy, kiss the ground here in the United States, and move on with your life. I don't care whether Brittany Griner becomes somebody. Do we have the Do we have that cover of uh, Time Magazine? I should have sent it. Um, but I don't care whether Brittany Griner becomes somebody that now talks nice about the United States. I don't care. A lot of people do. I don't. Brittany Griner wants to have her views of the United States. God bless you. Go have your views. I would think maybe that Brittany Griner would maybe have an appreciation for the United States. I would think maybe that Brittany Griner would maybe, I don't know, not be so mad about the national anthem being played. But I get it. Look, victimhood sells. There's nothing that sells like victimhood. Oh, man. United States, no good. And all of a sudden you find yourself in a Russian cell. I mean, the idea that Brittany Griner is some type of hero is crap. Sorry, it's crap. Now, again, I want her out. I've been talking about this since way, way before any of the clowns in the media have been talking about this. And I'm not patting myself on the back. I just happened to see it one time and I thought, man, four months, too long. All of a sudden, now we're not making her a hero, are we? She was dumb enough to bring weed or whatever the hell she brought into a country that was currently at war, and we supported the country that they were at war with. And even more important than that, guess what? When you leave our country, common sense tells you you better have at least a slight knowledge, appreciation, and understanding of the laws of the other country. You can't be that entitled. So I'm all, I'm all, uh, I am all for, all for Brittany Griner being out. But son of a gun, we're going to make her a hero and the fight for freedom. Oh, okay. Yeah. A lot of ways you can go with that. Look, I get it. We're woke. We're crazy. We got to support those that are, You know, we don't really support real people that are fighting for freedom. Fine. I know that she's fighting for her freedom. But damn, put her on the cover of of Time Magazine. A lot of people you could put on the Time Magazine. I'll give you a name, Elijah Dickens. Elijah Dickens stopped a ton of people from getting murdered. But hey, I get it. It clears Time Magazine of any type of ist. It's ridiculous. News of the day, Deshaun Watson only, only suspended six games. That feels light to me. That does. That feels light. I don't know that Roger Goodell could add more games. I don't know that he can't. But I will say this. uh, I am anxious to see in the next 24 hours what women's groups do. Now, you can say to me, hey, Dan, why won't men's group be upset by it? And you're probably right. But let's be honest. I'm anxious to see what women's groups are going to do. Like, I feel like the white women media is so afraid to be critical, even a little bit, a little bit of Deshaun Watson. I didn't see Mary Kay Cabot or any of the other writers in Cleveland criticizing this even a little bit. I didn't see any of them. That's fine. Criticize, don't criticize. But I'm anxious to see if any, any of the media folks, particularly women, 
in Cleveland say, wait a second, this isn't right. I'm anxious to see if any NFL players say, wait a second here, hold on, hold the phone. So you're telling Calvin Ridley, you're telling me Calvin Ridley got a full year suspension for betting $1,500 on a parlay? That's what you're telling me? Full year when he wasn't even playing? All right. If that's what you're telling me, that's what you're telling me. But it don't make a whole hell of a lot of sense to me. You're telling me that Trevor Bauer, basically, basically the entire damn two seasons for the same freaking thing, except his was actually, I think, rough sex with somebody. He loses almost $60 million. Something doesn't smell right here. And I'm not going to say that it doesn't smell right because anybody's protecting Deshaun Watson. There are three ways this doesn't smell right. The first one I'm going to eliminate. I think the arbitrator was fine. That would be the first thing you'd know. Like if Roger Goodell was arbitrating this, you would say this doesn't smell right. Uh, Roger Goodell wants the kid on the field. That's the first way. He's not arbitrating this. Uh, a professor is. And, <clears throat> excuse me. And I don't think there's any reason to try to discredit her. All right? <coughs> so that's number one. Number two, what we've been told in the media about all these cases may not be accurate. Meaning, I don't have the backstory. I don't have the backstory. I don't know the backstory. I know all these cases, many of these cases have been settled. I know that once people started bringing cases to the Houston, Texas, they said, look, we didn't do anything wrong, but we're going to settle, which means you probably did something wrong. I know that all but two of these cases against Deshaun Watson have been settled, but isn't two enough? That's what I would ask. Isn't two enough? But the truth of the matter is, these are the things that we don't know. What's real? What does the evidence say? The evidence did not put Deshaun Watson or Trevor Bauer in a courtroom, in front of a judge, with a jury, and a prosecutor. Neither one did. Why is one guy getting six games, the other guy getting two years? It's always a backstory. You know, I know, I say it all the time, there is always a backstory. Period. Don't at me about it either. There's a backstory about Watson. There's a backstory about... Uh, Bauer, there's always a backstory. And I got to believe that based on the evidence presented to the independent arbitrator, I got to believe that this is a fair, I got to believe this is a fair ruling. I mean, I got to believe that because I don't have near the evidence that I would think, uh, I don't know, that I would think the arbitrator Has. No. I would think. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I, I maybe there is so much evidence and there is something going on that we don't know. But she has the evidence. I don't have the evidence. You don't have all the evidence. So I'm just gonna say, hey, look, they looked at it, they gave him six. Good for him. He only loses $300 million. They looked at it. Trevor Bauer, bad for him. He loses two years, 
and close to $60 million. See, here's the thing. Deshaun Watson is just going to go on. See, Bauer, for whatever the reason, I don't know why I feel this way. I wonder how you guys feel this way. Do you feel this way? Do you feel like Trevor Bauer is scarred from this forever, whereas Deshaun Watson will eventually become like Kobe? You know what I mean? Like, all of a sudden, Kobe is a girl dad. Really? That's the girl in Colorado. Um, I don't know. What's he going to become? I don't think anybody's going to give a rat's ass. Is that because football is bigger than baseball? Is it because his suspension is only six games? Is it because he's been more vocal? Is it because he's more likable? I don't know the answer to that. But I feel like Bauer is a bad guy, and maybe he is in all of this. And I feel like Watson is like a guy, not a victim in this, but a guy in this. I don't know. It just feels different. I'd be curious your thought on it. I think they're both dirtbags, and I think they both deserve whatever the hell the suspension they get. But it just feels like one after six games is going to be fine, then the other guy's never going to live it down because it's two years. Like if Bauer was playing right now, I think we'd all be over I don't know. Not really sure. All right, I'm going to give you a bunch of stuff on why you shouldn't bet on the Buffalo Bills. Buffalo Bills number is like 11 and a half. Don't do it. I'm going to give you a bunch of stuff. And in that bunch of stuff, I'm, I'm going to tell you why you should also bet the Colts and to win the division. And in between, in between, what I'm going to do is tell you I don't know, Sean Black. I don't know, Sean. Go woke, go broke. Is that a real thing? I'm not sure it is. I'm not sure it isn't. But I got to tell you, the Cleveland, not Indians, the Cleveland Guardians, they struggling. They big struggling. Uh, The Poor's Collective says should have been no games. Apology from the league, donation by the NFL to a charity that supports men who are victims of false accusations. Interesting. Interesting. All right. I don't, uh, it it probably should, but considering how they didn't do anything to Robert Kraft, Jerry Jones, or Dan, well, I know you're meaning Schneider, supposedly the owners are supposed to be held to a higher standard. Even six games might be too much. That's from a doctor. Yeah, you know, it, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I do know this. One of the things that I do know is I don't have all the information. The arbitrator did. That I do know. All right, we come back. I ain't mad about it. We'll be right back. I ain't mad about it. And we celebrate Bonetti. He joins us as he made his move from ESPN to Fox. 10.30. Stay right here. Tell your friends. Let's go. Tell your damn friends. Retweet some stuff. What we doing? That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? 
Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. This is a solid question. Very solid question. Clay asks. We got to get Clay on this week. Experiment. Star white quarterback is accused of sexually assaulting 30 mostly minority women. Authorities decide not to bring any charges. White quarterback gets traded, gets the largest football contract of all time. Suspension, six games. How does the woke media react? Boy, oh boy. (laughs) Oh, man. Woo! You know how the woke media reacts on that bad boy. Awesome. That's a great great question. Hope we never see it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, a couple of things. Number one. It's betting season in the NFL. And frankly, uh, you know what? I like betting. I do. I just had a big weekend. I stopped betting baseball, but now I bet baseball, and I had a good win. Cubs getting beat helped me. All right, what do we got here? Let's take a look. We're not going to bet on the Buffalo Bills, and I'm going to tell you why. But first, and this has nothing to do with it. This does, has nothing to do with it. First, ladies and gentlemen, we got to look at a fight in Bill's camp. You don't hit the quarterback. You don't hit the quarterback after the play, particularly when the quarterback is Josh Allen, where he's probably an MVP candidate. He's not going to win the MVP, but he's probably, probably an MVP candidate. All right, let's take a look. Let's take a look at a little fight in Bill's camp. Watch it. Here we go. There we go. Everybody's in there. It keeps going a little bit. Guy's jumping on top. Everybody wants a little piece. Let's throw some hands. We're still going a little bit. Still a little sexy. All right. Now, this was characterized as a fight in Bill's camp. Look, I'm all for it. I'm no big badass Johnny Boy fighter guy, but... I don't know. First and foremost, don't hit your damn quarterback late, right? I mean, it's safe to say, I I think anyway. Just don't hit the quarterback after the whistle. That's all. Don't hit him. And if you do hit him, you know what's going to happen. Every little guy is going to come in, and every little guy is going to want to throw hands, and every little guy is going to jump up, and start fighting. Let me go through some numbers that my friend Warren Sharp threw out about the Buffalo Bills that I think are pretty telling. I told you don't bet the Buffalo Bills because, frankly, the Buffalo Bills, the Buffalo Bills, uh, I don't like the eyes of Josh Allen. I don't. I don't like the eyes. You guys may like the eyes. I don't like the eyes. When he was standing there with Brady and he was standing there with Aaron Rodgers and Mahomes, there was one guy that looked like, oh, my God, I'm just happy to be here. Let me give you a little Warren Sharp love on the Buffalo Bills. Last year, they had the easiest schedule in the league. Did you know the Buffalo Bills only faced six teams that made the playoffs last year? The second fewest. They won only two of the six. Hell, the Colts went in there and beat the living you-know-what out of them. They won just four of ten games when not winning the turnover battle. Now, they have the second largest increase in schedule 
I'm sorry, now have the second largest increase in schedule difficulty. Now, positive note, they went 0-5 last year in one-score games. They're 11-1 in the AFC East in the last two years. That's the Bills. The best in-division record in football. I like it. All right. They don't sweep, if they don't sweep, the Pats and the Dolphins, who I anticipate being much better, do they get to 12 wins? I don't know. I don't know. I don't think so. I'm sorry. Like, everybody wants to be the Bills. Everybody thinks the Bills are great. They got a stud quarterback. They went out and got guys. All right. And they better win it this year because the cap hit is $40 million. That's right. $40 million on Josh Allen. That's a lot of green. I ain't betting it. I'm not betting the Bills. There's a lot of reasons to bet them, and I know people love them, but I am not betting the Bills, and I'm not betting them because when you have the second easiest schedule, and that schedule just just because gets more difficult. Don't we expect Miami to be better? Don't we expect the Patriots to be better? Don't we think that Tom, or excuse me, that Mac Jones is going to be much better? Don't we think that? I do. Yeah, I don't care whether Bill Belichick has, well, you know, he doesn't even have a coordinator. All right. Okay. Why? So what? The Bills have to go to the Rams. The Bills have to go to Baltimore. The Bills have to go to Kansas City. The Bills play Green Bay. These are all out of division. You know the end division. I ain't mad at the Bills having to play Minnesota at home. I ain't mad at the Bills having to go to Detroit at home. They got to go to the Bears. Bears stink. They got to go to Cincinnati. Not an easy schedule. I'm taking under 11 and a half. I'm taking under 11 and a half for a variety of reasons. And one of those reasons is I just don't think their quarterback is the guy. I know I'm supposed to think their quarterback is the guy. I know you think their quarterback is the guy. I know every slap around here thinks the quarterback is the guy, but I don't think he's the guy. I think he's good enough. I think, hey, I thought he was great last year. I think he got in a rhythm last year, right? All right. Uh, I'm going to get to the Colts in a minute. But I ain't mad about the Cleveland Guardians' attendance sucks. I'm not one of those guys that said, well, you got to, I don't know, you got to keep the Indians' name. If it offended Indians, and change the name. Guardians is a stupid name. 2019, the last fully pre-pandemic season, the team averaged 21,465 fans. This year, 15,000. 15,000. I don't know if you remember this, but in the early 2000s, late 1990s, man, it was sold out every night. Every night. In 2019, non-Cleveland attendance was 28,000 a night. I always said, you know, Major League Baseball can get like 40 grand a night and everybody says it's dying. On a Tuesday night, you can get 40 grand. Now it's down 6.5% to 26,000. So the whole league is down. 
Attendance for the Guardians plummeted 30%. How about that? TV ratings stink. It's a dumb name. I don't care whether it means something to that city. It's a dumb name. It's like Valpo University calling themselves the Beacons because we want to be a beacon of light. Go, whoa, go broke. Um, I was at Colts camp the other day, and I'm happy to report that my team in my city is really good. I am. That's Quentin Nelson scratching his backside right there. I ain't mad at him for having a good scratch. Who doesn't want a good scratch? You know what I do every time I go to the bathroom here? First thing I do is stand up and have a good scratch. I'm two hours. I'm two hours sitting in this seat. I ain't mad about a good scratch. But here's the deal with a good scratch. You got to have a good team. I think the Colts have a good team. I was out of camp the other day, and I gave you two guys, you fantasy players, Naheem Hines and Paris Campbell. Look, I'm not going to lie to you. It's pretty evident that Naheem Hines and Paris Campbell now should be in their prime, fastest guys on the team. And when you watch them play, really good. And I'm betting on the coach. You want to you want a lock? I'll give you a lock. Colts to win their division. Lock. I'll give you a second. Do yourself a favor. Put it down. Write it down. Go to your sports website, whatever Whatever site you use, go to it and bet it right now. The over-under of eight and a half is going to get crushed. The Colts winning their division is going to get crushed. You guys are out of your mind if you don't think the Colts are going to win their division. I'm just telling you, regular season wins on the Colts. Now it's moved to 10. Uh Uh-huh. Every time I talk about this, it moves to 10. I'm taking the Colts to win the damn division. I'm taking over 10. I'm taking they're going to be like 11 and 6. I'll go through it with you. I will. I'll go, I'll go through it. I mean, if you would really like. Um, but the Colts' schedule is such that it ain't hard. Now, they start out with two games on the road in their division. In fact, five of their first games are in the division, five of their first seven. So the division is going to be decided pretty much the moment uh, week eight comes. But the Colts don't have it hard. The Colts don't have a bad schedule. I know they start out with all that division play, but you know what? I'm going to go through this with you, and you're going to go, wait a second, Dan. What the hell are you talking about? I'll go with it number by number because this is what I do. Hold on one second. Let me call it up right here. You would think I would know off the top of my head. I don't. I ain't that smart. I used to know it off the top of my head. I will know it off the top of my head. But let me go through 10 wins. Houston, Jacksonville, they play Kansas City at home. They don't have to go to Kansas City. They go to Denver. All right. Not easy. Washington at home. They'll win that. They got to go to New England. These are all out of conference. They go to New England. They go to Vegas. They have Philadelphia and Pittsburgh at home. Their road game at the Giants. Home game against the Chargers. I ain't mad at that. Road game against Minnesota and Dallas. So their road games non-conference are Denver. They're going to be any good? Maybe. We'll see. New England, Las Vegas, Dallas, Minnesota, and the Giants. 
Their home game's out of league. Not the easiest, but they got Kansas City. All right. They've got Philadelphia, Carson Wentz Bowl. They've got Pittsburgh. They've got the uh, Chargers, and I must, and they got Washington. They'll win all those. The league stinks. The conference is awful. The only wild card in the conference is obviously Jacksonville because nobody, and I mean nobody, knows whether or not Jacksonville is going to be good, bad, happy, or sad. But I will tell you this, when you look at the Titans, let me give you the Titans non-conference. All right, at home they've got the Giants, that's good. They've got Las Vegas at home, that's good. They've got Denver at home, Cincinnati Super Bowl team at home. Okay, and Dallas at home. Let me give you their road non-conference games. You ready? At Buffalo, non-division. At Buffalo. At Washington, okay. At Kansas City. So you got to go to Buffalo and Kansas City. You got to go to Green Bay. Now think about that. Colts don't have that kind of deal. The Colts don't have. That's why when you go to who wins divisions, you always go to record. They got to go to Philadelphia, and they got to go to the Chargers, who might be the best team in the West. That's tough road sledding. Everybody should beat and win their home games. At home, all right, they got Dallas at home, fine. I said Cincinnati at home. They've got the Giants at home, Las Vegas at home, and Denver at home. Great. You win the home games. It's the road games that kill you. It's the road games that crush your soul, and they have a really difficult road schedule. So do yourself a favor. Go to your favorite damn betting place and say, hey, look, look, give me every dime that I have and put it on the damn Colts to win the division. Don't at me, people. You know what you should do? You should thank me. That's what you should do. Everybody should thank me. Seriously. That should happen. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to thank me. I accept thanks. I do. All right. I like this. So anytime somebody loses weight, I always look at why, all right? I always look at why. Why that guy lose weight? Why does everybody lose weight but me? Everybody loses weight. I'm telling you. <clears throat> so I saw this the other day. Frank Clark has been in trouble. Frank, Frank, Frank Clark played at Michigan. He's been in trouble, but now he's kind of solidified his life, it seems like, by playing with the Chiefs. So... We have all these weight loss things, right? How did Frank Clark now rejuvenate his career, lose weight at 29 years old, and get it going? You know how? Quit drinking. Stop drinking liquor. One of the main things I did is I cut out a lot of red meat. I stopped drinking liquor. Alcohol is a big factor. At the end of the day, I stopped drinking liquor. It was February. I had stomach problems, gastrointestinal problems, haven't had since I stopped drinking liquor. 
Now, I don't know whether he still drinks beers. I don't know if there's a difference between liquor and beer. Sometimes people say liquor and they mean beers and, and, and vodka and the whole thing. Sometimes say, hey, look, uh, like Charlie Sheen and Two and a Half Men. Hey, look, I stopped drinking. Give me a beer. Beer doesn't count to something. I don't know, but I applaud it. I do. Those of you that are out there, you understand every single day, every day, I talk about losing weight. And every day, I go till about, oh, I don't know, 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock, nah, about 6 o'clock in the evening, doing pretty good, and then I eat like a hog. I did it yesterday. Oh, man, I had a great day. Yesterday was one of my all-time great days. I got up. I read the, not the paper, but I read the internet, had a cup of coffee, went outside, got a bunch of stuff, put a burn pile, got it burning, mowed the grass, sweating like a hog, came in, got on the Peloton, did a little bike workout, got on the weights, did a little weight workout. You know what I'm saying. I was having a great day. Went outside, got a bunch of more sticks, put it on the burn pile, had the burn going. Now it's like 3 o'clock, so I turned on the golf. You know what happened when you turn on the golf after doing all that? You fall asleep. I had a two-hour nap. Awesome. Two-hour nap. Fell asleep, went to my brother's house. My mom, her friend Ted, <coughs> my wife, my, my mother-in-law is great. One of the best days of the year. So today I woke up and I'm playing Rocky. But here's what I did last night. I was going to diet. I was great all day. Went to my brother. Didn't have a ton of ribs. Didn't have a ton of appetizer. A little bit, a little bit of brisket. Nothing crazy. And then everybody wanted to go for ice cream. We walked down the street and went and got ice cream. And then because of a housewarming gift, I bought my brother a nice bottle of wine. Guess what? We broke it open. I had two glass, a glass and a half, not two glasses. I don't ever have two glasses of wine. Had a glass and maybe a little bit more, maybe, because my sister-in-law, you know, topped it off. Not even a glass. But anyway, and it ruined the whole thing. Frank, baby, you're my new hero. You're my sensei. You're my man. If you had all these problems, I don't really have health problems. I'm just fat. If you had all these health problems and they got cured by not drinking liquor, ladies and gentlemen, let's start it today. The Don't At Me, How Much Weight Can We Lose contest. I'm starting today. Hope you'll join me. Let me know on the YouTube chat. Let me know what's going on, and we'll go from there. I'm all in on Frank Clark losing weight and becoming a better person. That was long and stupid, that thing I just did right there. What am I doing? All right. Speaking of golf, and oh, by the way, the cure for insomnia, the cure for insomnia is doing what I just did, which is work out in the morning and then turn the golf on. And when you turn the golf on, you know what happens, baby. It's like ambient on a Sunday. So I turn the golf on. And I'm watching who a guy who I've been talking about, one of my favorite, if not my favorite golfer, na not named Tiger Woods, Tony Finau. Why is Tony Finau one of your favorite golfers? Because Tony Finau led the state in rebounding when he was a high school basketball player. Because Tony Finau looks uncomfortable over a golf ball because he's so tall, which I saw a video of me hitting a golf ball, and I look all hunched over. I think I look like Jack Nicklaus or Tiger Woods, square, strong, you know what I mean? But I look hunched over like an unathletic dork. Tony Finau does the same thing. I don't know about you guys, 
But if you combine golf on Sunday, working out, uh, you might as well have the right guy win. And Tony Finau did, and I love it. It's two in a row. It's like the first player since 1980 to win two tournaments outright by three shots. Tony Finau is a superstar, and he walks cool. He does. Tony Finau walks cool. He doesn't really walk. He kind of saunters. See, us big guys either walk one of two ways. We either walk like Tony Finau, where we kind of saunter, or we walk like I do, like a dork. Feet going this way, stuff everywhere. It's insanity. So I was happy Tony Finau won. He was up two. He kept winning. And you know what I was equally as happy? You know how you sleep? You take a nap, but you're still hearing stuff. You don't really know. You know what I mean? It's not like a deep, dark, I'm asleep kind of thing on a couch on a Sunday. But I got to tell you, I woke up and I looked and all of a sudden they're on like the 17th hole and Tony Finau's going to roll away with it. And I liked it. So I ain't mad about it. I ain't mad about not not betting the bills to go over their win total. I'm not mad at that at all. I'm not mad at the Guardians for not having any attendance. Hey, look, go woke, go get broke. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Betting the Colts to win the AFC South is my personal lock of the year. It may not be yours, but it is mine. That's right. Just saying. Uh, And, ladies and gentlemen... Frank Clark had a lot of problems. He did, coming out of Michigan. He solidified himself with the, with the Kansas City Chiefs, and he solidified his life without drinking so much. I'm all in on that. Seriously, I think that's a great thing. I'm going to go this week. I got a big Calcutta coming up. Ton of money. So much money at this golf club. Now, I don't really, I'm like an afterthought in it. But so much money at this golf club, they got to hire security to go around, and they put all the money in a safe. That's right. So I'm getting my fat ass in shape. I got till the 12th or 13th. I'll do calisthenics. All right? Betting the Colts to win the AFC South, do it. And then last thing, I ain't mad at Tony Fino. I'm not mad at Tony Fino even a little bit. But do yourself a favor. Bet on the Colts to win the division. I like their team. I'll tell you something else about the Colts that maybe I didn't tell you. Maybe I did. The Colts, particularly Matt Ryan, can move a little bit. The Colts have some speed as a team. But Matt Ryan went from a guy that I did not think could move at all. I thought he was more like, oh, I don't know, Phillip Rivers, who literally looked like me trying to escape the pocket. I thought he looked like Phillip Rivers. He did. He did not look like Carson Wentz. He did not look like Lamar Jackson, but he did not look like a statue. Does that mean he's not a statue? No. Does the Colts have concern at left tackle? Yeah, Matt Pryor's never played there for crying out loud, and now he's going to be the starting left tackle, of course. But I'm telling you, that schedule sets up really nice for the Colts. I don't believe in either Trevor Lawrence or Davis Mills until proven differently. Uh, I've had my friend Sean Salisbury tell me that Davis Mills would be the first quarterback taken in the draft this past year. Maybe he is. I don't know. But I'm just telling you, bet on the Colts to win the division and bet them over 10. 10, you get a push. They'll be better than 10 and 7. All right, you see this thing right here? Wait, 
How do I do it? Socks Charities. It was about, oh, I don't know, six weeks ago, the Chicago White Sox had a contest. Jason Benetti against Steve Stone. Who would get more people to buy these shirts? Of course, Benetti is a good friend. Benetti comes on the show, so we're promoting Benetti. Many of my listeners on my 1070 show, or not 1070, 107.5 show, we bought T-shirts. Benetti just announced that he is coming over to the Fox family, which is what we are here at OutKick, from ESPN NNNNN. It's a glorious day for Fox because Benetti is, if not the best broadcaster in the country, then he's in the top five, as I put him as my number one. All right? So at the end of the day, Benetti coming over is a big deal. My wife is going to join me. So Dylan and Ryan, you got to know the lovely Lee Ross will be sitting over here. I'll be sitting over here. And we're going to talk to the great Jason Benetti from the West Coast. Can't wait to get a hold of him. Can't wait to honor him. Can't wait to say, hey, look, Benetti, welcome. I'm not the guy to welcome him. But all I know is I'm not that guy. But what I do know is Benetti being welcomed to the Fox family by me is fitting. So, ladies and gentlemen that are on the YouTube chat, ladies and gentlemen that are on Twitter, if you have your Benetti shirt on, a.k.a. the Benetti jersey, please put it on now. Send me a tweet. If you have my uh, phone number, send me a text. Let me know that you have Benetti. Also, there was a picture circulating that I actually put out on Twitter of me and my wife as superheroes. That's right. We helped raise about four grand for First Tee Indiana over at a golf course over here, Old Oakland. I dress as a damn superhero. Yeah. Spider-Man. My wife, uh, well, she dressed as Wonder Woman. I got to tell you. Hey, Lee. Can you wear the Wonder Woman costume again? Yeah. There was a little role playing. What's wrong with a little role playing? Don't at me. Be right back with Benetti and Lee Ross and a cup of coffee. And I got to go to the bathroom. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Come on in, Lee. Come on in. Show your shirt. Show your Benetti pride. Yeah. This is ridiculous. My favorite guy. My Look favorite at you guy. two. I can't, I can't even begin to tell you how honored I am. <laughs> hey, today, all across central Indiana, at least on our show, uh, we have Jason Benetti Day. What a holiday. I mean, is everybody walking funny too? Like, how are we, how are we doing this? What are we doing? 
no, no. My show, uh, they they showed out for you. They they came together to buy your shirt to, for uh, White Sox charities. Uh, they did, and everybody on my show, people are sending me pictures of them wearing their shirts today in honor of you. There you go. Hey, hey, look. First of all, thank you. Uh, you and your people and your show uh, were massive for White Sox charities. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Second of all, we were in Minneapolis a couple weeks ago, right before the All-Star break, the White Sox and I, and uh, Lance Lynn wore my shirt around the Mall of America. <laughs> <laughs> Here's one. That's my guy, Sean Black. He's got it, it on. He ain't messing around. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, there's a uh, here's uh, here's Jennifer. She's got her shirt on. There's Jennifer's a couple more great. here. I met her. I met her uh, at an Indiana basketball game. She is awesome. Uh, you decided to to uh, to come over to Fox, and I'm not the guy to welcome you, but congratulations. What made the deal? What 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 happened here? Why from ESPN to Fox, big dog? Hey, uh, you know, at some point, opportunity is other places. And Fox and I uh, talked for a little bit. They wanted me to come over. I wanted to go over there, you know, in part because of the opportunity, because of the college football games they have, the college basketball, the Major League Baseball. Like, ESPN doesn't have a lot of Major League Baseball left. And so, you know, I ended up uh, having less to do there for baseball season uh, in that way. And then... There, there's there's big college football at Fox and some really, really awesome people. ESPN was great to me. They treated me very, very well for a long time. There are a lot of really good people over there. I met you there. We became friends over there, and I have a lot of friends from, from that place. But Fox is the place where the opportunity is for me right now. Yeah, and, and I think it's important to note, like so many times when a guy leaves, it's like, well – I didn't like, I loved ESPN. I had no problem, great relationships. It's not a matter of being dissatisfied necessarily with something. It's seeing an opportunity to expand and, and do your craft. Yeah, there, there's just more stuff, more opportunity. And you know I love stuff. So uh, there's, there's stuff over there. That's kind of the point is that there's, there's opportunity to grow. Uh, the Sox have been really good about it. And Fox and the Sox, I think, are going to work together to make sure that I can do both, which is great. I can't, uh, I, I, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, wait, for those of you that don't know, uh, Jason is the White Sox television announcer. He and Steve Stone have been voted year after year uh, the best major league tandem uh, all across the major leagues. But apparently for you, that's not enough because you have to do more baseball uh, at a time when you do baseball every freaking day. What would you like to do? Uh, Herb Street it every day, do baseball, oh, I don't know, an afternoon game uh, at guaranteed rate, get in a private plane and do a game in L.A.? What are you trying to add more baseball to a guy that does baseball every freaking baseball day? What are you doing? Hey, if, uh, if baseball was the secret word on Pee Wee's Playhouse, people would be screaming over and over again right now. So <laughs> yeah. my deal is... 
I like the variety too. Like the Peacock games I've been doing this year for NBC, who's been great through all this too. But but the Peacock games have gotten me a chance to go see other managers and talk to other players and sit down with other managers. By the way, Tucker Barnhart says hello. I ran into him in Toronto yesterday. So uh, that's that's kind of the stuff that I love, the variety of getting to be around other teams while I still do the Sox. And again, like, I love the Sox. I, I absolutely love doing that job. But I also think it's really important to go uh, – meet with other managers and players too, and have the opportunity to kind of see the field of the majors. You know, in doing football, basketball and baseball, I, 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 you know, depending on how you go about it, but really the opportunity before the game in each of those sports kind of sets up the game. I try to tell people like you, you struggled or you've said, you didn't like the fact that you were doing it remotely because you couldn't get on the field and talk or you couldn't talk to a Lance Lynn or you know what I mean? You, you, it was just it's much better when a guy can do what you just said, get a broader view of the sport that you cover. Yeah, it's not even close. I mean, how many times when you and I were doing basketball, did we hear something in a shoot around or talking to a player and say that's our open? I mean, and then you watch that and you talk to the player and you see the way they react to a different guy like that, that emotion and that like knowing the people you cover makes it way different. It's it was like factory made the last couple of years. It was like, go do the game or like sit in a studio, do the game. But nothing new or novel is happening. And that's the fun of it for me. Like. I, again, how many times did we talk to Izzo or we talked to Beeline or Fran and they said something and we're like, oh my gosh, like that's why this game matters today. That's what will matter in this game. It changes the deal. How much, how much have you enjoyed when you do baseball? How much have you personally enjoyed and how much do you balance the analytics with the game itself? Yeah, I mean, I like... I did the StatCast shows for a long time at ESPN and they were great. Like we had an awesome crew and I love it because it's taught me so much about how players uh, develop themselves, how players take in information to go play the game. Like if you don't use analytics, you're going to be behind because other teams will do it smarter. I think there are a couple different versions of it though. There's the ability for a player to take information about his performance. Like, hey, my slider works this way or my fastball works better this way or pair the fastball with the changeup instead of the fastball with the curveball, whatever it might be. Like those numbers don't lie. And we can we can lie to ourselves with evidence about like, hey, I think it got hit kind of hard. We don't always know. As, as well as we think we do. So I think in terms of player development, analytics can be really, really good for the game. I think where fans break down is when analytics are used to decide every last inch of strategy. So I think there's a difference between team use of analytics to create tactics and players use to get better. I want every piece of analytics I can possibly find as a player to improve myself. but also players don't like being told what to do based on robots and numbers i think we humans have a fear of being taken over by robots 
Like we, we've had that since the industrial revolution. So I think that's part of the problem is we don't want to be told what to do. But if it's our choice based on the numbers, I think that makes us better as players, as people, whatever it might be. So I, I get it. I get why teams are doing it because I think the teams that use them well are better but it comes into player development much more than it is necessarily strategy at all times. My wife believes the zombie apocalypse is coming. So she's more worried about zombies than robots. I kind of want to get Lee a t-shirt of mine, but like with the eyes hollowed out, right? So it looks like the Jason Benetti zombie apocalypse fan club. <laughs> and I kind of think she should have that one shirt. With hands extended like this, because that's how we, I always talk to her. I go, so you think people are just going to walk around going? <laughs> yeah. why, do, why do zombies do <laughs> this, too? Why, why, why don't, don't zombies have normal arms? I don't know. Why do kids, and I did it, when I fake sleepwalking, I always went, Great. You know, when I was and everybody knew. <laughs> everybody knew exactly what you're doing because nobody sleepwalks like that. Because if you don't and you're sleepwalking, you bang into stuff. I assume the zombies are going to bang into stuff. I assume. I don't know. <laughs> that don't would know. mean they're not all that dangerous. Like, like, oh, look. Right. Oh, look, it's one of those zombies that bangs into stuff. That's cute. How dangerous could they, how dangerous could they be if they can't see? Like, what are, they, what, what are we going to do? I, these are the conversations my wife and I have, Jason. We need help. This is what we there's, do. It's... There's going to be, like, zombie traffic. It's going to be like, ah, I-94 is shut <laughs> down because there's a zombie doing the arm thing again. <laughs> I'm not saying you're right. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying that's what I talk about about every fourth or fifth day. I just got a text from Lee. This can't be good. Uh, but what are you going to do? Uh, you know, they walk like that because they don't have eyes. They may run into something. Yeah, that's what she just, she just hit me with a text like that. That's it right there. So there you go. We were right for once. So she's got it all figured oh. out. Like she knows exactly how this is going to look. I love, some people think there's going to be a zombie apocalypse. She's done all like the urban planning for it. <laughs> yes. Hey Lee, where, what, is there a community? Like, what do we, <laughs> we got dogs to walk the zombies? What are we doing? You know what I mean? Like, if we got to have dogs, how you? I go back to what you said. How dangerous can they be? Well, I, you, now we're talking like there's going to be, there's going to be like a Department of Zombie Social Services. <laughs> like, we're going to, we're going to take care of the zombies as part of our tax dollars. <laughs> Uh, I'm sorry, sir. Would you like to go to uh, Meadowwood, the old folks' home, or would you like to go to uh, Cedarwood, the zombie apocalypse home? <laughs> uh, up to you. <laughs> hey, they have they have great shuffleboard at Meadowwood, and nobody is going <laughs> to suck your blood. So I might suggest. <laughs> now, Cedarwood, if you want to always have your head on a swivel, somebody may come up from behind and. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, people. Are the White Sox any good? What are we doing? What are we doing? Hey, they're they're good again. They won two in a row. They're one game over. Dan, 
Dan, Dan, Dan, after all of the stuff we talk about every week on your radio show, after all the stuff, all the things, they're two games back on August 1st, two games back. That means if they go on even a little bit of a run, they're going to be in first place really soon. Now it's shaping up to be like, okay, nobody's on board with the White Sox. Then they make the playoffs and we start hearing those conversations about, well, if they didn't play in that dumb division and then it's going to be like, well, they got hot at the right. And then it's like, look at our trophy, beat it, everybody. (laughs) Because, you know, you have seen some stuff this year. Let's put it that way. Oh, we've seen stuff. We've seen intentional walks on a ball and two strikes and on oh and one and we've seen eight five triple plays and we've seen all sorts of stuff and they're one over and two back on August the first. You've I seen actually, I'm starting, two run deficits. I'm, I'm starting to get to the point where I love this team. Like I love this team for how ridiculous it is. Like I I love the White Sox at the core and I, and like I will always love the White Sox. But I have a different love for this team with its like malfeasant ability to get to one over 500 (laughs) by doing some of the craziest stuff that you could possibly imagine. I love the shenanigans in Colorado the other day. They lost on a walk off and halfway through the game, there was a there were two on and there was a walk to load the bases and two out. And after the walk, the Rockies catcher threw to third and picked off Larry Garcia. (laughs) on a walk like he didn't have to go anywhere (laughs) he got picked off from third on a walk but they're one over and two back on august 1st shenanigans and malfeasance both in the same sentence both in the same diet how good is that hey when a guy gets thrown out in third on a fly ball down two runs in the 10th inning and that's a walk-off throw out at third that's all. That's malfeasance. That's malpractice. Actually, that's a that's mel something. That's Mel's diner. I don't know. It is. It is. It is. Kiss our grits. It's lovable malfeasance, <laughs> though. Like it's just like you shouldn't be an over five hundred team doing the stuff they do, and yet they are. Which I think over the next sixty games, people are going to latch on to how completely fun and ridiculous this team is because they could win eight to two and give up six outs on the base path. Like, I don't, I don't know what's going on, but I think it's hilarious. And I think it's really fun to watch and to narrate. Do veteran guys, you know, like, like you have a great relationship. Uh, God dang it. Who's the uh, Lance Lynn. You have a great relationship with, I'm assuming most, do they know this? Do they know that this is a, it's not a blank show. It's just their show, right? Do they know that this is unique, how they've gone about the business of the season? I kind of think so. I kind of think there's like a, there's like a, well, here we go again. Like they, we're doing stuff again. <laughs> like, what are we doing? What's happening here? And then they'll come back and win a game. They'll go on a run of like three straight wins. And I know it's maddening for fans. And like, I don't mean to laugh because fans like really invest in this. And it's, it's, it's like life or death some days. And you look and you're like, when will they make the run? It doesn't matter all the stuff that happens in a baseball season. If you're in it at the end, you can win the deal. And so like, 
I don't mean to laugh because I know it like hurts people when the Sox lose, but the way they have lost games this year and to still be one over, it's like this might actually for so many days I've thought, Oh, there's no way this year is their year considering all the ridiculous stuff that happens. I now am at the point where I actually 100% think it is their year because they've hung around after doing such weird stuff. Like the documentary is going to be amazing on this team when they make the run. And the interesting thing is, and I, again, I could be dead wrong, but it feels like you have like America's most serious analytical manager at the controls of this whole thing. And yet we're talking about a interesting, I've seen stuff here. Yeah, I think uh, Tony's an interesting guy, right? Because just when you think like, he missed something. He does something the next day where you're like, oh, that was that was a thousand percent the right call. And so, like, people always used to talk about the Cardinals devil magic when he was managing and like stuff would do there like be like pixie dust that would fall on them. And I kind of think that sort of thing just follows him now. Like he pushes a bunch of weird buttons like he intentionally walks somebody on one and two and then oh and one and i don't know what's happening and then suddenly the next day it's just like here's this and here's this and it works out perfectly and i don't i don't know what to do with myself i i think i've decided to swear off logic <laughs> and baseball over the court i mean correct me if i'm wrong but you got 162 games i mean you you, you Doing it the quote right way, you know, I've always heard in baseball, well, that's the one sport that really catches up to you. If you don't do it the right way, right? Yeah, I kind of, I think it might, but I also think it might not. That's, that's the thing about probability, right? Like you play blackjack, right? You played blackjack. With you. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we've played blackjack together. Like you can sit down at the table and play a hundred hands and play it all wrong and still win money. If you play a million hands, you're probably not going to win money, but in 10 hands, 15 hands, maybe even a hundred hands, like you can end up winning money based on luck and based on fortune. So, you know, especially if you get into the postseason and it's a five or seven game series, like that's not a lot of time, a bunch of weird stuff can happen. So yeah, I, I, I very much like doing it by the book. Like when people at the blackjack table, like split tens, uh, you're like, oh my God, what are you doing? I cannot handle this. Or they take a card on 16 against a four. You're like, God, please don't. You're ruining the whole, I am that guy who sits there and seethes. But like, I just, it's, it's some people are just having fun. Like I, I'm, I'm trying to do it by the book. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Generally, you probably should because they rig the game, you know, like not rig the game, but like the game's meant to cause you to lose more money than you win. So you might as well play it by the numbers. And I kind of feel that way about baseball, too. I've got people asking me, can you ask Benetti to tell his story of being in the marching band in high school? Dude, dude, I can't. So in high school, it got better. They like, they, they put a tuba on the field and I would march in place and play the tuba. But when I was in middle school, they didn't know what to do with me because I couldn't carry a tuba and walk in the parade. So they made me the drum major. And like, <laughs> the thing about the drum major is 
the whole premise is that they're supposed to keep time and keep everybody marching on the downbeat. So it's like left, right, left, right. When I walk, it's like left, right, right, left, left, right, 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 left, right, left, left. Like nobody has any idea where I'm going ever. If I'm walking toward you in a hallway, people think I'm coming right for you. Like that always happens. <laughs> Nobody has any idea where I'm going. So they made me the drum major. And I just imagine there's this pile of carcasses behind me because like <laughs> nobody knows when to walk. But I, but I had, I had well, like, I had a baton. I had a baton and I looked so happy. I was like, yay, look at me, look what I'm doing. And they're all like, why the hell is he doing this? <laughs> It's like when everyone runs into the wall in Animal House at the end of Animal House. But what I love about you, and I, this is what I, this is a snapshot of what I love about Jason Benetti, is you, you are the smallest guy. What instrument do you want to play? Give me the damn tuba. Give, give me the tuba. So bad. Like I did, but I, you know, if you, if you pick like the clarinet or the oboe or something, people are like, oh, he's doing that because he can't carry the other one. So I might as well just like break the system. Like I was at, I was at dinner uh, Saturday night with our Peacock crew in Toronto and they had said the bathroom was downstairs off the main lobby by where the host stand is. So I went over there and I knew exactly where it was once I looked. But I asked the hostess, I was like, hey, where's the bathroom? Because I wanted to see if she would point me down the stairs and then offer me the elevator. And she did. She was like, oh, you can take the elevator as well. How'd that go? I didn't take the elevator, Dan. I, I traversed I the stairs. You know, Some people want to climb Mount Everest. I want to go down the stairs to the bathroom at the steakhouse. <laughs> hey, look. And don't grab my damn credential. And don't try to be a cop and trying to straighten our ass out. We're not having none of that. Don't do it, people. Oh, I'll go stomp. Just leave me alone. I'm going to go stomping. I'm going to go stomping. They're stomping. <laughs> oh, man. I'm so glad you're at Fox. I hope we get to work together at some point again because it's so much fun. It really is. Uh, and our comedy show, I got to make it happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. One night no, we got to do that. I, I loved doing games with you. We had such an awesome time, and, and I would love for that to happen again. I truly would. Yeah. All right. You're, uh, where are you at? Where are you at? Uh, I'm in California for the uh, Fox football seminar for a day, and then I go back and meet the Sox oh. tomorrow in Chicago. All right. Well, go, go grab the Fox guy that I've been bothering. Uh, constantly go okay <laughs> Eric Shanks go, go grab the Fox guy and say hey, look I don't know Dockage I, I don't I, whatever he's done I don't know I don't know I no don't yeah know. I, I, it, anyway. it's a great start for me at my first seminar to grab the Fox guy and tell him <laughs> stuff let him know let him know there's a new sheriff in town damn it his name is Jason Benetti it's right there he's got shirts Look how happy I am to be on that shirt. I know. Let me look at the eyes. Where are they going? Oh, you oh, don't know. Right? Well, hey, hey, the eyes are like merging. It's like merging on I-94 in Chicago. Like nobody ever knows where you're supposed to do it. 
All right, last thing before I let you go. What, what happens at the Fox football seminar? What happens? Ah, we talk about the season, I guess. I, I've never been to one. You've you've been to ESPN seminars. Like, you, it's the same type of thing. You, like, talk about the season and whatnot, and then somebody does it impersonation. Don't at me. Of Sean McDonough. Are you are you our partner with Brock Hewitt, right, for football? Uh, not officially official on that. They have not officially announced gotcha. exactly what we're doing together. So, you know. All right. Appreciate you, my friend. Have a great time. You always do. Thanks, Dan. Good to see you. That's Bye, Lee. He's with Fox. <laughs> Lee's in the back. She's cleaning. She's always cleaning. She's always doing. She can never sit down. Sometimes you just got to have a sit. It's the great Jason Bonetti. Oh, there we are right there. That's right. Saving the world. She's Wonder Woman. <laughs> These guys. Uh, I am Spider-Man. We didn't get to the woke dope Can we put up woke dope real quick before we got to go? After, uh, after our favorites right there, can we throw woke dope out every day? We do a woke dope some kind of maniac that's woke and that we got to all pay attention to. I don't know. But uh, if we can't, we can't. But uh, woke dope is pretty good. I'll uh, hang on. Let me go over here. I just got laugh. But Eddie and I, we just, I don't even know if it's funny to everybody else. I'm sure it's not funny to everybody else, but it's funny to me when I get with Benetti. It just is to me. I'm sorry. Uh, Woke Dope is Karine Jean-Pierre. Back in 2019, she, for whatever the reason, decided to call Donald Trump bigoted because he was putting up a wall. Donald Trump putting up a wall according to whoever this lady is, and I'll look her up, I should know, but I was laughing with, uh, with Bonetti, but Corrine Jean-Pierre. Oh, yeah, she's the press secretary. That's right, I forgot. She's the one uh, in the relationship with the CNN lady. So back in the day, this wonderful human being said, where are the pesos for your bigoted wall? Now... Karine Jean-Pierre says Biden is filling in major gaps because he is trying to save lives. Why, why, why do we let these idiots get away with this? Seriously. I mean, I don't know. Why do we allow this? I forgot. That's the new press secretary. That's the job that I've always wanted. It is Jason Bonetti day. I will be wearing... My shirt all day. It started today. It will go on to when I do my show noon to three. Thanks, everybody, for watching. Thanks to Jerry Seasting. Thanks to Jason Benetti. Thanks to Dylan. Thanks to Ryan. Thanks to Davey. Thanks to everybody that helps make this show a success. Uh, you all have asked me when are we going on Fridays. That's going to be after uh, Labor Day. I am off this Wednesday. It's the first day I've taken off. Uh, because, frankly, once a year, I go up to Chicago for an event uh, with some friends of mine, and it is this Wednesday. So Wednesday we'll be off. Tomorrow we will be on. Let's make this show the best show in the country. Give me suggestions if you'd like at Twitter. Do me a favor, retweet all of our stuff, and let's see what we can get done here. Thanks, everybody. Have a great afternoon. You can catch me at 107.5 The Fan starting at noon. Bye-bye.